0: Now let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this night that we can come together in this place. We thank you, Father God, that we truly do have a friend in Jesus who we can take our cares and concerns to and know that he knows our every weakness and does indeed love us, and we thank you for that. We pray tonight, Lord God, as we come now to your word, that you would uh, just help us to... Gather from your word that which you would have for us tonight. Lord, I do pray that you'd help me to speak with clarity. Help me to present these truths uh, simply, Father God, in a way that we can all understand. Lord God, that we might be able to take away from this place, this night, some precious truth from your word that we can meditate upon, Father God, in the days to come. We do pray that you bless our time around your word this night. Give uh, me wisdom, I pray, from on high. May you be exalted and lifted up. May you be praised. We thank you now for your word and we pray that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there is a problem that some of those who name the name of Jesus is that they haven't had a lot of growth in their Christian life since they became a believer. It's like the little boy that I read about this week who went, to bed, and after he'd only been asleep for a short time, he fell out of bed. His mother heard him crying, and she came in and picked him up and put him back in bed, and she said, why did you fall out of bed? To which the young boy answered, well, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And you know, the problem for some believers is that they're staying too close to where they got in to the Christian life. They're staying too close to what they were before they got saved and not growing in the Lord. They're staying too close to uh, that point of salvation without growing and without advancing in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not moving on anywhere. And in Romans chapter 6, Paul is saying that you and I can indeed move on. You and I indeed can have the victory over sin. And he uses three words in this chapter to explain how you and I can have that victory. He used the word know in verses six, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, reckon in verse 11, and yield in verses 12 to 23. And over the last few messages, we have been looking at the things that we need to know if we are to have victory. We need to know that grace is not freedom to sin. We need to know that we are dead to sin. We need to know that the old man is crucified, which you saw last time in Romans 6, 6 through 7. Now as we continue, Paul tells us there are four more things that we need to know in verses 8 through 10. First of all, we need to know that we shall live with Christ. Look in verse 8. Now when we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with, with him. Now, Paul has already explained to this point in Romans chapter 6 uh, that salvation, uh, that rather at the point of salvation, because we are in Christ, we have died to sin. And we've been exploring that to this point in Romans chapter 6. And because we have died to sin, we have a new life in Him. Look in verse 6 knowing this, that the old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He declares here that if you and I are saved, then we are dead with Christ. And if, we're, if we've died with Christ, we've crucified Christ, we are free from sin. Now in verse 8, he starts out by saying this, now if we be dead with Christ. The word if there could be translated since. And the point here is that since it is true that we have died with Christ, what follows is also true. Since this is a true fact, since this is a true statement here in verse 8, if we be dead with Christ, what now follows is equally true. Now Paul has now turned, if you like, in Romans chapter 6, from discussing the effect of our union with Christ has upon the problem of sin, verse 7, freed from sin, to discussing now here in verse 8 that since believers have died with Christ, that also has an effect on our problem with death. So he's dealt with the problem of sin, that Christ died, that we might indeed be freed from sin, Now he's going to deal with the problem of death. Christ died to deal with the matter of death. And so in Romans 6, 8, he says, If or since we died with Christ, then we believe, or, which is present tense, we are believing that also we shall live with him. Or, to put it succinctly, we believe that we are alive. That we are spiritually alive. If you believe this to be true, that with the death of Jesus Christ, we've been freed from sin, then equally true is this, that since you are associated with Christ, you are alive. We can believe, we are believing that we are alive. Now, why do we believe that we shall live with him? I mean, he makes it, it's a categorical statement. He says, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe. This is a statement of fact. We believe that we shall also live with him. Well, Romans chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, give the answer to that question, which we're going to come to shortly. But before we get to verse 9 and 10 and explain what we believe, how we can have this confidence about this fact, we need to understand a little bit about verse 8. We need to understand the tenses of verse 8. It says that in verse 8, Now if We be dead with Christ. Now, this is what's called a past tense. We have died. If we have died. Since we have died. This is a fact. That those of us who are saved, Paul's assuming here in Romans chapter 6 that all of us know that Jesus Christ has saved. He's talking to the bows who are born again. Since you have been believed, since you have been saved, it's a fact. That because Christ died, we are indeed died with him. We have died. And then he says, We believe. Now, believe is in the present tense. We are believing. This is what we do now. This believing is our walk of faith. Because of what Christ did at Calvary and our relationship to him, we are dead to sin. Because that's a reality. We believe, we are believing, we're walking by faith. And what we believe is that we're no longer dead, but that we're alive. And then he says, we shall also live with him, which is future. Because we have died with Christ, we are presently believing that we will live with him. Now, the suggestion here is that our future is only seconds away. Okay, That future tense is not talking necessarily about 100 years from now. It's talking about future to the point of salvation. Because we've been saved, we are believing that we shall live with him. Now, of course, physical resurrection is in view here. There is no doubt about that. It's clear from the future tense that, that within this we shall live with him is the future tense that you and I will one day be raptured and we will then so ever shall we be with the Lord and we shall live with him for eternity. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it? You know that because he has risen we shall also rise. There is a day coming when we shall be changed and that you and I shall hear the trump and you and I shall... Go home to be the Lord, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive, alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. It's First Thessalonians. So we know from 1 Corinthians, it's 1 Thessalonians, there is a day coming when you and I, as believers, will indeed find ourselves living with the Lord. There will be a physical resurrection of all born-again believers. But because of, what, uh, because of this, we believe that we shall be living with Christ. In other words, we believe that right now, we shall be sharing the life of Christ. The future here speaks of what happens immediately after we get saved. We are right now living with Christ, partaking of his resurrection. We are already alive isn't that what Ephesians says you who have quickened who have made alive who are dead to the trespasses of sins we've been made alive none of us who are saved here today are spiritually dead anymore you and I have been made alive you and I are living with him now he makes the statement he says now if we be dead with Christ we are believing that we shall also live with Him. Now why are we believing this? Why do we have this confidence? How can you and I be so sure that we are alive? How can you and I be so sure that we will one day spend eternity with Him in heaven? How can we know for sure that we will indeed live with Him? Well, because if since we be dead with Christ, it our follows of necessity, we shall also rise with him. That's the point here. The death of Christ, our identification with the death of Christ is a certainty. And because of that, you and I have been freed from sin. And we know therefore with a certainty, we can believe with absolute certainty that we shall also live with him. If we are if we really are joined to him then everything that happens to him happens to us. It follows that if we've died with him we must also rise with him. These events are connected. The death and resurrection of Christ is real and our identification with Christ means that with in him we die and in him we have Risen. You see, because our sin is taken care of, which he says in verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin, because our sin is taken care of, the door is opened unto you and I for fellowship, right now with the Lord, and one day we will live with him eternally. Paul is talking of a present as well as a future event right now. He's saying that you and I have been raised to a newness of life. Isn't that what he said back in verse 4? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. The death, burial and resurrection of Christ, means that you and I, by faith in him, partake in his death as sin was dealt with. We partake in his resurrection, and we now are walking in the newness of life. We have died to sin, and we've been raised to live with him. If you and I are going to walk in sanctification, then we must know, we must understand this fact to be true. We must be believing that we indeed have risen with him. We are to be believing that we have been raised from the dead, that we are walking in the newness of life. We need to understand that's the reality for us as believers. That salvation meant an end to our sin as far as his power over us, so that you and I are now living with him day by day. And if we're going to have sanctification, we need to know this, we need to understand That fact. Now the second thing that we need to know is that Christ has risen from the dead, verse 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Now Paul goes on now to explain. As he's been saying in verse 9, he says, we believe, we are believing that we shall live for him he's now going to explain to us how we know this. How do we know that because of Christ, how do we know that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, how do we know, how are we believing with confidence that we are living with him, and indeed we will, will one day live with him in glory? How do we know this? Well, he says, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion of him. Paul explains here in verse 9 that sin and death have no more dominion over Christ. And because we are in Christ, sin and death have no more dominion over us. What are the wages of sin? According to Romans 6.23, it's amazing that that passage actually is in this chapter. Okay, it shouldn't be amazing. It says in verse 23, for the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wage of sin is death. If sin has been dealt with, if you and I have been freed from sin by his death, so that you and I might live with him, since there is no power of sin, the penalty of sin has been taken care of, the power of sin has been dealt with, then you and I no longer have the wage of sin to pay for. Death has, been dealt, death has dealt with sin and its dominion over us. Now the verse 9 where it says knowing, this knowing here is having a full knowledge. This is not a growing knowledge. This is not, there's no growing to be done here in this kind of knowledge. You know, there is a, there is a knowledge which is an experiential knowledge, gnosko. Where we know by experience is a growing knowledge. The more we experience things, the more we know. The more we experience God's blessing, the more we know about God. The more uh, we grow in our relationship to the Lord, there's a growing knowledge. But this knowledge is not that knowledge. This knowledge is having full knowledge. It's a settled doctrinal truth. What Paul is stating here in verse 9 is doctrinal truth. Settled For eternity. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion in him. That is a doctrinal fact. No ambiguity, no growing in knowledge here. This is a fact. Jesus Christ died and he rose again. That is a fact. And death hath no more dominion over him. That is a fact. Now, the way for you and I to understand exactly what's been said here in this passage of Scripture, verses 8 through 10, we need for a moment to forget about ourselves. We kind of need to forget about our experiences and just for a moment to consider what is true about the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. What is Paul saying about Christ? See, the easy thing for us to do is to take this passage and make application immediately to you and me. But until we understand what's being said about Christ, we can't make application to us. In other words, what happened to him in this matter of a relationship to sin? That's what verse 9 is talking about. What happened to Christ with relation to sin? If you and I try to impose upon this verse our personal experience, and in verse 10, our personal experience, then we're going to miss what the Apostle is saying. You see, in verse 9, he says this, Death hath no more dominion over him. Death could have no more dominion over Christ. Death could not hold, no longer... We master over Jesus Christ, our representative. When Christ died and rose again, death could no longer have dominion over Christ. He says, we fully know. We perfectly understand, we completely Understand that Christ has been raised from among the dead ones. Confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important for you and I when it comes to walking in the Christian life. We have to know this fact to be true. Which I know we do, okay? But it's so important that we understand what he's saying here. He's saying this is an absolute... Truth, this is doctrinal fact. Christ has risen from among the dead ones. And we know that to be true. We know he certainly rose from the dead. Because at least 512 people witnessed that very fact. Mary and the apostles and all the others, 512 people at least saw the resurrected Lord. This is an established fact. There is no ambiguity in this. Jesus Christ rose again. He did not stay in the grave. He rose again. That's what makes him different than every other religious leader. That's what makes Christianity different than every other religion. We worship, we serve a risen Savior. Who's in the world today. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. We know he's alive. That's what makes the difference. Every other religion of the world worship and serve a dead leader or a dead God. But we serve a risen Savior. That's an absolute doctrinal fact. It is one of the keystones of our faith, is it not? Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary... Was buried and rose again the third day, victorious over sin, over the grave, and over the devil. The very fact that God raised him from the dead is proof positive that God was fully satisfied with the work of his Son upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ was the satisfaction for our sins. I've said it before, the resurrection is God's amen to Jesus Christ's declaration of the cross. It is finished. If Christ had died and made those seven declarations on the cross but never rose from the grave, it means nothing. His promise to the thief, today thou shalt be in in paradise, means nothing. If he is still in the grave, if you and I can go to Israel today, and you and I can find the tomb of Jesus Christ, and you and I can see the, the remains of his body in the tomb, then it means nothing. The resurrection is God's declaration that the cross of Christ was sufficient for you and for me. To be saved, the resurrection is God's announcement and proclamation to the whole universe that Jesus Christ has completed the work that God sent him to do, which was to purchase your redemption and my redemption. And the resurrection is proof that that was satisfied. And note what it says here. Having been raised from the dead, he dies no more. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. The net result of his resurrection is that he dies no more. And because he dies no more, and the reason why he dies no more is found in the last part of the verse, death hath no more dominion over him. No, it's interesting, you know, when Lazarus raised from the dead, Lazarus died again. When they raised Jairus' daughter, she died again. When the boy on the briar was raised, he died again. But Jesus Christ dieth no more, because death hath no more dominion over him. The word dominion is the word rule. It comes from the word kurios, which is Lord. And Christ is not bound to death, Because he conquered death at his resurrection. He died to die no more. And the net result of that is that death hath no more dominion over him. He'll never die again. For what he did on the cross is sufficient for all. He died once for all. And he rose again, never to die again. Because he won the victory. That's a glorious truth. He's beyond the dominion of death and will live forever. Look with me in Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 18. Lord Jesus Christ speaking here, he says this, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. evermore." Amen. And the keys of death and hell. I'm alive forevermore. You know, I I think sometimes we undervalue the reality of the resurrection. We can be, you know, I I guess we can become so glib, can't we, in, in stating facts. We believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. You and I can all say that, spat that off, speak it. Uh, wrote, But the resurrection part, to you and I, need. we need to understand the significance of it. He died and rose again, never to die again, because he has won the victory over sin. Death no longer has dominion over him, because he won the victory. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, raised from among the dead ones, gives us hope for the future. And power for today. If death has no more dominion over Christ, it cannot hold you and it cannot hold me. Because you see, you and I are in Christ. And what happened to Christ is now applied to us. We died with him. We were buried with him. We rose again with him. We already saw that at the beginning of this chapter. And since he rose to die no more, and death no more has dominion over him, so too you and I. We rose with him, and we are now living with him, and we will live with him eternally, because death no more hath dominion over us. Now, you and I may well die physically, but we will not die spiritually. In other words... Since he dies no more, we too will not die a second time. Look in Revelation 20, please. Revelation 20. And verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Son such, the second death hath no power. That shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. That's us, folks. We're going to have part in the first resurrection, whether that be the rapture or whether that be the fact that you and I simply die and, and uh, go to glory. But we're going to have a part of the first resurrection. In fact, everybody has a part in the rapture as believers, because the dead in Christ go first, and we which lie remain to not prevent them. And we'll all meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be the Lord. We all have part of the first resurrection. And the blessing is, those of us who have part of the first resurrection because of faith in Jesus Christ will not suffer the second death. Will not have to suffer eternity separated from God. We've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. If death has no dominion over Christ it cannot hold the believer either. This is the statement of doctrinal fact. Jesus Christ indeed died, but he was raised from the dead, he dieth no more, and death had no more dominion over him, and the reality is because of our relationship to Christ, our union with him, we too will rise. To live with him, as verse 8 says. You see, you and I are believing that we shall live with him. Why? Because Christ arose to die no more. And if Christ arose to die no more, we too also will rise. That's God's promise to you and the promise to me. We're we'll partakers. Because we're in Christ, we're partakers of his death. Because we're in Christ, we'll be partakers of the resurrection. We'll never again come under the enslaving, spiritual, death-dealing power of sin, one commentator said. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. And this is not only a comfort to us, but this is an argument why you and I ought to live holy lives. Because you and I have been set free. The old demand of sin was ended when you and I were saved. He rose again. And we are also alive. Death and sin no longer have power to enslave us. For he rose never to die again. And death hath no more dominion over him. The third thing that we need to know is that Christ died unto sin, verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Then that he liveth, he liveth unto God. The verse starts with the word for. For explains to us that Paul is now about to tell us or explain to us what he just said in verse 8 and 9. Why is this important to us? Why is it important that Christ, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, uh, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him? Why is that important? Well, he says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, and in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He explains to us why it's important. He explains to us that Christ not only died for sin... But he also has died unto sin. Now remember that Paul here is talking about Christ. And he says that he died unto sin. That is, that Christ broke the power of sin. And he did it once, never to be repeated. Now we know God's word says over and over again, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for sins. But that's not the wording here. Notice it says, For in that he died, he died unto sin. It's true that Christ died for sin. But that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is not dealing with justification, Christ dying for our sin. He's dealing with sanctification, Christ died unto sin. In other words, sin has lost its power. Sin no longer has dominion. Sin has been rendered powerless by Christ. And notice he says, Christ died under sin once. For in that he died, he died under sin once. The word once here is an adverb and it means once for all. Jesus Christ will never die again because when he died for sin, he died unto sin once for all. He does not need to die again because sin was paid for in full. The old account was settled long ago. He paid the debt in full. He never needs to die again because the debt has been paid. He died under sin once. The power of sin was broken by his death. Jesus Christ will never have to die again because when he died for sin, he died once for all. Look in Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 12. Speaking about Christ, he says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. He offered one sacrifice for sins, and then he sat down on the right hand of God. This means that when he died on the cross of Calvary, his relationship to sin changed. It was never the same again. Sin now has no power over Christ. Remember, he's talking about the Lord here. For in that he, that's Christ died. Christ died unto sin once. But in that Christ liveth, Christ liveth unto God. It's all about the Lord. Sin has no power over him. Now that invokes a question, well, at least in my mind. How could sin have a claim on him who knew no sin? Isn't that the reality of Christ? Christ knew no sin. We believe in the impeccability of Christ, that Christ was sinless. So how could sin have a claim on Christ who knew no sin? How does does this verse fit into all of that? How, How could it be said that he died and he died under sin once? How could he die under the power of sin when sin did not have any power over him? Well, the answer is because God treated Jesus Christ, didn't he, on the cross of Calvary as though he were sinful for our sakes. He bore our sins. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says? For he he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. First Peter tells us that he took upon him the iniquity of us all. That he bare in his own body our sins on the tree. At Calvary, God looked upon his son as a sinner for our sakes. He was made sin for us at that moment. But after he paid for our sins, he was raised from the dead, he ascended up to glory, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high and resumed the relationship he had with the father prior to Calvary and prior to his incarnation. And the reason he could sit down on the right hand of the majesty on high is because he died under sin Once and he liveth unto God. He's alive. He rose again. This verse says, Christ died unto sin. Now it's not his sin. For he had no personal sin to die for. His death was for the sin of mankind. He took our sin upon himself. He became sin for us. He died unto it as a power, as something that reigns. You and I, before Christ, before our salvation, we were under the reign, under the rule, under the realm of sin. But because of our relation to Christ, that reign was broken, and now we're under the reign and rule of Christ. The design of Christ's death upon the cross of Calvary was to destroy sin and its power over us. He died unto sin once. He destroyed the power of sin. Sin has lost its power for the believer. We're no longer its possession. And it can only have power over us that we give unto it. When you and I yield to the enticements of sin, we yield to something that has no power over us. We give it the power, but it does not have the power. Jesus Christ died under sin once. He broke the power of sin. And in Christ, you and I have been moved from the realm of unrighteousness, from being in Adam to the realm of Christ, being in Christ. And you and I died with Him. We were buried with Him. We rose with Him to walk in the newness of life. The power of sin has been broken. The victory is ours for the taking and the claiming. Sin can only have the power that we give it when you and I yield in the flesh unto it. Fourthly, we need to know that Christ liveth unto God. Verse 10. For in that he died, he died in the sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Here Paul explains that Christ now lives unto God. That is, he died to free us from sin... And he lives in heaven to bring glory to God. How? By applying that power to us. Every time you and I walk in his strength, his power, and you and I have victory in our lives because of Calvary, he brings glory to God. The truth of the past is that Christ died once for our sins. But now in the present, he lives unto God. The focus here is his living for God, in that he liveth. The object, the design of his living, the aim of his living, the aim of his power, is to promote the glory of God. Notice it says unto God. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He seeks to promote His glory. And by association with Christ, because of the union we have with Christ, then we should also live to bring glory to God. You and I ought to live to promote the glory of God. That's our purpose in living. We were buried with Him in baptism. And we rose again to the newness of life. That we should now walk in it. We are empowered with resurrection power. Death has been destroyed. Sin has lost its power. You and I have the victory in Jesus Christ if we want it. So that you and I might promote the glory of God by living godly lives day by day. One commentator said this, the argument is this, Christians, by their profession, are united unto him. They are bound to imitate him. As he now lives only to advance the glory of God, as all his mighty power, now that he is raised from the dead and elevated to his throne in heaven, is exerted to promote his glory, so should their powers, that believer's powers, being raised from the death of sin, be exerted to promote the glory of God. We should live, we should exert our energies to promote the glory of God. Why waste our time giving power unto sin that is powerless because of Calvary? You and I can now live under God, live for His glory because we have. His resurrection power at work in us. Now Paul's going to pick up that theme in verse 11 and following. In fact, what he's trying to do in these four things we need to know in verses 8, 9, and 10 is he's trying to set the scene about how much, how much power is available to us because of Christ. What Christ did for us. The reality of the doctrinal truth that Christ died, but that he rose again. The resurrection of Christ is central to everything he's talking about in Romans chapter 6. You see, the wage of sin is death. But death has no more dominion over Christ. There's no more dominion over us. Why? Because sin has been dealt with. Victory is ours for the claiming. We know that we are dead to sin. Sin's possession of our bodies is broken. And we can now walk in the Spirit. And as you and I yield to the Spirit, as we're going to see next time, as so we give our bodies over the possession of the Holy Spirit, then we can walk in victory. Because when Christ died, we died. When Christ rose, we rose. When Christ broke the bonds of sin, they were broken for us. When he rose, we rose with him to walk in the newness of life. We can have the victory, beloved. We can live for the glory of God. The power, the resurrection power is available to us today through Jesus Christ. Because this glorious truth exists. We are believing Jesus is alive. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you, Father God, for the truth of Romans chapter 6. We thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ is indeed alive. He rose from the dead, victorious over sin and over the grave. We thank you, Father God, that in him we can have the victory. And Father, may we indeed rest in him and his resurrection power that we might live unto God day by day. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.